Welcome to the Why It Depends podcast, where we explore anatomical and physiological mechanisms and nuances behind different approaches in the fitness and therapy industries. In today's episode, which is the first of a three-part series on breathing, Stefan and I discuss the anatomical and structural aspects of breathing. We talk about rib and spinal mechanics, muscular and fascial relations, breathing compensations, as well as how breathing mechanics affects the function of other structures like the heart, intestines, the autonomic nervous system, and a host of others which truly display the body's complex structural integration. We hope you enjoy the show. Stefan, buddy, how you doing, man? Not too bad. What's cracking? Nothing, dude. It's I'm enjoying the, the nice sunshine. It's been like really sunny the last last week or so. Yeah, we don't we barely have any clouds out today over here as well, which is always That's nice. Awesome. Nice crisp winter day. Yeah, dude. Um, you ready to start off with some fun facts and health uh, health hacks? Health hacks. Stefan and Zach. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the, 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 uh, the fun fact that I got today is, um, it's kind of as like a structural one, which is kind of going to be on, on point with what we're going through, but it's the margination of blood it's called. So, or, or the margination of cells within the blood. So your, your blood is full of all sorts of things, ions, different cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and the blood as it travels through the tubes in your body often, uh, create like a vortex or, or like a tornado, like, uh, like fluid going down a drain. So it creates kind of like a spiraling effect of, uh, of its flow. And in doing so it, it um, creates then almost like a, a barrier uh, in certain layers of that vortex. Um, so some cells uh, migrate to the outside, whereas some cells stay more central to that vortex. And it almost creates like a structural, um, a structural change in the, the composition of the blood. If you were to take a different measurements, so your red blood cells and your platelets like to sort of stay close to the, the center of your, of, your, um, of your blood vessels, whereas the white blood cells like migrate more to the outside, um, which is kind of interesting. So the, the, the idea there, the, the significance is that if there's any sort of damage or inflammation in the endothelial cells of your blood, the white blood cells are already naturally there due to the, um, the effect of margination. And so they're, they're already there to do their work and, and sort of have, have like a healing or, or a remedying effect on the, on those inflamed cells or damaged cells, which is kind of neat. That's wicked. Yeah. yeah. Is that, um, I don't know if, uh, this would be something known or not. Is that a, a structural thing because the white blood cells are structurally different, they go to the outside, or is that more an electrical thing? That's or? what I, I don't know enough about it. I know that hmm. it's a thing and, and I'm, I'm wanting to, now that I've learned about it, I want to know a lot more because I, I have a feeling it's probably both. Mm. Um, like your white blood cells are the largest, uh, of all of them and uh, of the, the cells they're by, by mass anyways, they're, they're larger. And so it makes sense that they might migrate outwards with a sort of centrifugal force. Um, but there's the other, the other thing like electricity or the charge of those, uh, of those things, I, I think would matter as well. Be, you know, the iron within the red blood cell may, may repel and, and charge out away from like the, the, um, the fluid charge or the ionic charge of the endothelial cells. That's so, wicked. Yeah, there's definitely some play there, I think, but I, I'd have to read more into it. And uh, like the red blood cell has that structure, um, that kind of like sail-like structure, mm-hmm. where it utilizes like the, the middle of the of the tube because it has that sail in it in the in its center to uh, to to shuttle it along a little better. Yeah, to get That's propelled. Wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super neat. Damn. All those structural relations. Um, yeah. So my, my, my health hack. Yeah. Let's hear uh, it. 
So cold exposure for reducing body fat or increasing body fat mm. or um, uh, body composition. So um, really cool studies. I'll throw them in the show notes, but um, taking a, a five minute cold shower in the morning and at night will increase the conversion of white fat to brown fat. So white fat is that fat you see on the outside of your body, kind of more in the abdomen on the backs of the arms and stuff. And then the brown mm-hmm. fat is uh, what surrounds organs. So the brown fat is more metabolically mm. active because um, it's there to produce heat and uh, as a shock absorber, uh, absorber and stuff for the, the, the organs. So yeah, Very just cool. a quick, yeah, just quick cold shower in the morning. It doesn't even have to be full five minute. Uh, I have seen studies that did um, cold, hot contrast where they would do 20 seconds hot, uh, 10 seconds cold for that five minutes. And they saw uh, changes in, in uh, um, body fat percentage. And so, so then the, the body then will naturally, I'm trying to think how that works. So does the body in its effort to try to keep things warm or regulate, it burns off more of the fat of your, of your, that are, that are sort of stored or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if you look at an individual in the wintertime versus the summertime, they'll have a higher brown fat percentage than they would in the summertime um, just for that, for that uh, adaptation to stay warm and it's metabolically active. So this metabolically active, meaning it'll, it like it produces heat or, or has more. Yeah, exactly. More action. Um, and you can see it in uh, like cold water swimmers. Like they almost mm-hmm. have this like kind of like big uh, wide chest and like, um, like almost like a barrel chest because they spend so much time in the cold water. And a lot of that brown fat um, is in that like clavicular region, um, chest oh. region around the heart and stuff. Keep it warm. Had, that's cool. Yeah. I never had no idea about that. Yeah, that's super wicked. neat. Yeah, dude. That's wild. Well, getting into those, into the, the structure of the rib cage and, and expansion and all that sort of stuff falls into, uh, into line with what we're going to be talking about today with, uh, breathing, breathing. mechanics behind it. Holy, like, uh, we had to split this up into three parts just because there's so much, uh, so many different avenues. Yeah. We could go through, uh, but today we're going to stick with the structural component of the importance of, um, breathing. Have you messed around with, uh, I know you've been messing around a little bit with breathing. Uh, techniques and things like that, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been playing around with uh, breath holds and and things like that, trying mm. to change the physiology and and uh, improve my my respiratory centers. Uh, I guess resting zone of of carbon dioxide. But we that that will be the next episode, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. What, what sort of, oh, you go right. ahead. I was just gonna say it's interesting because there's so many different um, like types of breathing, which just shows that. Um, how many different intents you can have because of the vast impact that just breathing in general can have and all the changes it can make. Yeah. 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 I know the, the, the style of breathing that I've been sort of playing around with conflicts in some ways and is beneficial in others. You know, mm-hmm. there's the, the benefits to the physiology while, you know, changing the, the capacity or the, the, res, the resilience of your rib cage or, or the elasticity of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, it depends and other, other breathing patterns, or practices that call for mass, you know, uh, expansion and things like that may have a detrimental effect in, in some perspectives of the physiology, but it may have beneficial effects in other areas. So it really depends on, on what you're doing and how you're doing it. The give and the take. I was just thinking yeah, about that actually yeah. today, even with the, the cold exposure that we were just talking about, it has like a host of benefits. I think we'll probably do a podcast on cold at some point in the near cool. future. Um, but there is going to be some take, like some, some gives to that as well. Like if you mm-hmm. look at the uh, deep intrinsics of the spine, um, they're very reactive to thermal changes. Like, and that's why you see a lot of people will 
um, injure themselves shoveling outside in the snow because they'll, mm. they can tighten up and things like that when, and then you're going through that shoveling motion. Yeah. Um, big range of motion. Yeah. So there's always going to be some sort of like pro and con to, to everything we do. Yeah. 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 Um, That's wild. Yeah. So going through the structure of breathing, um, starting at the, the spine and the ribs. Um, mm-hmm. So when we take a breath in, uh, our ribs, depending on the section they're, they're at, are going to move through a different plane of motion. Uh, I should say, ideally, like ribs are one of those things where they're probably, they're, they're never doing what they're supposed to. Uh, I don't know if you notice that in your, in your practice or whatever, but never put my, yeah, never put my free range. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of attachments and stuff. So, uh, we have the two ribs at the bottom, our caliper ribs that aren't attached to, uh, uh, the front of the rib cage. So they go through the transverse plane and almost like a caliper motion where they'll open up to the sides and then close back again. Mm-hmm. And then we have our, uh, ribs that go from seven to 12, our bucket handles, they move, move more through the coronal plane. So they'll open up to the sides of our body, almost like uh, like a bucket handle when you, when you lift up the bucket. And they sort um, of create that expansion laterally. Exactly. Yeah. Side and to side. Our uh, uh, two up, uh, up top ribs, ribs one and two are that pump handle. So they move through the sagittal plane forward and back. And then mm-hmm. from uh, three to six are kind of a mix between that coronal and that, uh, a uh, sagittal plane motion. Yeah. So with it's all a, that, sorry, go ahead. It's a nice way to think about, it. you know, no, I was just going to say, it's a nice way to think about it with like a bucket handle. Everybody sort of, you can, you can really easily picture the movement of a bucket handle sort of lifting up and off, uh, off of uh, the, the edge of the bucket and the mm-hmm. pump handle as well. Mm-hmm. That sort of mechanism of, of going forwards and backwards or up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with, with all those different planes of motion, it allows for like this unified cylindrical opening of the tube of the rib cage and, and it maximizes the, uh, the space in almost all planes. Yeah. Which it's something a, that it's often not really thought of is your, your body as a tube, mm-hmm. like, and creating that, that expansion in all directions is a pretty coordinated effort when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And then, so all these ribs are coming in and attaching into our spine through, uh, uh joints in between the bodies. Um, so when we breathe, it's not only that the ribs are in motion, but the spine itself is in motion as well. Um, so we have uh, anterior and posterior curves of our body. So uh, the cervical, which is the neck, and then the lumbar, which is the back, kind of have that uh, convexity to the front of the body. And then our thoracic and that sacrum have a uh, concavity to the front of the body. Mm-hmm. So when we breathe in, all those curves kind of, um, I don't know if traction is the right word, but straighten and come, come to more of, towards the center. Um, and expand out. And then as we let that breath go, so that thoracic spine is coming into more of an extension. Um, the uh, lumbar and uh, cervical spines are coming into more of a, a flexion. So there's this whole rhythm of motion through the vertebrae, through the ribs, and into the chest. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely wild. <laughs> nice, nice thought as, as you know, if you're just sitting there all the time, taking a nice deep breath will help pull you out of that slouch that, that your body likes to fall into, uh, with, with, with gravity constantly pushing down on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, a cool concept that, that I remember learning, learning recently was just the, the ability of your, your body to, to resist gravity by just taking a deep breath, filling up your lungs and, and getting that expansion of the ribs and, and, uh, the straightening of your spine a little bit more relative to where, where those curves would, would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool effect. 
Well, it's like the, the Valsalva maneuver, right? When uh, um, power lifters and weightlifters will use is they'll take a deep breath in and they hold that breath that, like you said, that um, brings more stability into the, the whole torso as a whole uh, yeah, as yeah. you go through that movement, um, which before it was kind of more like you inhale on the uh, um, eccentric on the and push. exhale on the concentric. Where depending oh, yeah, on, yeah. yeah, depending on how you're thinking about it, if you want more stability with a heavier weight, it might make more sense to hold that breath to keep the rigidity of the spine. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. to help protect everything. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. super, super cool. And there was a thing that I was thinking with this. Um, I don't know if you would agree or not. This is just a theory. There's no studies that show this or whatever. But uh, when we sleep, so we have these discs in between our spine that um, allow for uh, force uh, distribution to transfer force in a, uh, an efficient way. Um, and these discs are filled with fluid. Um, so as we stand throughout the day, we actually lose a certain portion of height because we're compressing these discs and the fluid's getting transferred out. And then while yeah. we sleep, because we're in a horizontal position and we're not stacking uh, weight on the disc, uh, fluid comes back into the joint. Yeah. Um, and with this idea of taking a breath and bringing the curves, almost tractioning and, and uh, um, not approximating, uh, but uh, straightening out the spine, there could be a level of uh, fluid transfer in the discs. Like I would love to see a study on that. On, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like in 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 the action of breathing, you're, mm -hmm. you're talking about, eh? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, it makes complete sense if that's what we know happens at, at night over longer periods of time. There should be, you know, to a lesser degree, the similar sort of action when you're when you're breathing or or just movement in general, just just mm -hmm. moving as a in your day to day efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It, it's sort of, um, like fluid being non-compressible, uh, the, the, the compression of your vertebrae sort of pushes out on the, the joint capsule itself, which gives you that, that area of stability and, um, there, that slow leakage. Yeah. Is what sort of decreases the, the height overall in a, in a collective way. Mm -hmm. It's super neat. So, so cool. Yeah. Um, and then if we take like, uh, uh, a step out, we have this musculature, which is actually creating the motion of the ribs and the spine. Um, so the big ones would be our diaphragm, uh, yeah. our intercostals, where we have internal intercostals that are um, pulling the ribs down, external intercostals that are pulling the ribs up. Um, and then there's also these accessory muscles that uh, people don't think of as often when talking about um, uh, breathing motion. So we have like our, our big pec muscles or pec major, pec minor come in and, and grab the ribs our, uh, our scalenes from the neck, our um, serratus anterior, that's kind of like that punching muscle that comes mm -hmm. from the sides. Like when people think, and I, I think my uh, um, kinesiology degree did a little bit of a disservice looking at muscles. This muscle has this action. The serratus anterior has the action to um, protract the scapula forward. But at the same time, what if the scapula is locked in space and we contract that muscle? Like it's yeah. going to have the ability to pull from both sides of the, uh, of the lever. So that yep. um, scaling is also going to pull those ribs back into a rotation and compress that side or, uh, or uh, open that side and compress the other side. Yeah, um, so there's going yeah. to be a level of movement from both sides of the, of the lever. Depending on which side is fixed. Yeah. yeah if the exactly. scapula is fixed, it's going to pry open, pry open the ribs and the sternum and, and elevate the ribs and mm -hmm. create that inhalation effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's wicked. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it's totally different way of, of looking at things, but it's such a crucial piece because there's no, uh, there's no way that it only works in one direction. It has to work both directions. Otherwise it wouldn't be, 
it just wouldn't be as functional. Defy the laws of physics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's um, crazy. Mm-hmm. So like when we were talking about in our, our last podcast about immobilized um, our contracted uh, tone of musculature, that's going to impact our ability to breathe mm-hmm. with some of these muscles. Yeah. In a huge way. And um, with all of those different varieties of attachments and, and muscles and, and actions and things like that, it, it sort of results in different breathing strategies. Um, and I know like just generally speaking, there's, there's a lot of hate for all the, the rib cage breathers or, or the upper chest breathers and, and a lot of, uh, of positive vibes going to the people who are abdominal breathing, but, you know, just as much as one can have, can be seen in a negative way, the other has its drawbacks as well, which is kind of an interesting thing. It's mm. good to have balance in, in what you're doing. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, so the diaphragm, do you want to tackle the diaphragm or, or... The, di- the diaphragm? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome. Cause it's again, like we, we talked about it previously about it, its importance in terms of fluid regulation and how its effect helps uh, change the pressures and, and uh, the uh, fluid uh, gradients in the body for, you know, health and, and for well-being. but it does the exact same thing with, uh, with air and, and uh, oxygen. Um, as you're breathing, breathing in the diaphragms descending and creates that negative pressure, drawing air into the lungs, which, as I had mentioned earlier, help not only helps keep you upright, um, but it also, it also helps uh, generate that fluid, that fluid pump, uh, pump through the, through the system. Um, an interesting piece to the diaphragm is the, all of the structures that attach to it. Like it's, it's not just the attaching attachments of the ribs or, or of the spine, um, but it's the base of the, of the heart. Um, it attaches the pericardium and the pleura of the lungs and it attaches to the liver, gives support to the, the small intestine um, and the, through the duodenal ligament and uh, it has a massive effect on the motility of your, of your gastrointestinal tract for digestion. So it's just this one thing that, that, provides everything that, that life is, that life depends on, which is kind of cool. That's one of those ones you don't think about very often is the, the, uh, organ attachments to our somatic, like our, our muscular, our, our bony tissue and how our movement impacts the movement of, uh, of those structures. Yeah. Totally. You don't hear about that stuff very often. It's, um, it's, it's easily missed, I think, because you just get, you know, at, in your respective disciplines, get focused on one thing or another or your respective techniques, you, know, you get, you know, focused in on one thing over another and prioritize things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so you end up getting so focused on the muscle and the bones, you forget about all the stuff that's beneath them. Mm-hmm. And what does yeah. that mean? What does that mean for the heart? If it's attached to the diaphragm, it has ligaments attaching to the sternum to, uh, to the backside of the, of the uh, vertebral column. What does that mean? If there's uh, hypermobility at the ribs it attaches to, or, or no mobility at the, at the, the diaphragm or something like that what does that mean for its function yeah yeah totally it will it, it, it changes then you know because through all these these spaces of connective tissue is where the the nerves the veins the arteries and the lymphatics travel mm. and as soon as you have lines of tension or compression going through those areas it's going to influence those nerves uh by by the connections that uh that that are facilitated through the fascial fascial networks Mm-hmm. And just generally speaking, even, even in a larger sense, you know, you, you have somebody who's constantly wearing a bag on one side and compressing over to the, to the, uh, the side, it's not going to allow then that lung to, to fully expand or the ribs to fully open up. And it's going to require your, your, there's no, 
there's no lesser degree of air that's required for your body, but there's a lesser degree to which it's able to access air. So instead you're going to have other areas that are of lower pressure that are going to expand even more hmm. in, and, and try to, in that attempt to try to get the, enough air into the, into the system that is required. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thing, just like fluid air, air follows the, uh, the path of least resistance. So the diaphragm in its function should be facilitating that by, by sort of dropping down and, uh, and creating a vacuum to draw air in, but not everybody's diaphragm works well. You know, if they're, they're bent one way or another or rotated, it, it just doesn't, uh, it, it just can't. So there's the, the benefits there. Um, I think it, it, it'd be important to say too, is that just because you, like I bend over to the side like this does not mean like I'm in a, a position where I might die now and with a yeah, yeah, yeah. like your body's got a way of compensating around things fluid wise, um, like nerve mechanotransduction or like pressure wise or whatever. Um, but yeah. what, is, what does it mean if it's like this over a long period of time, um, we're going to have compensations that, that cost the body energy. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, you you wonder why you feel tired all the time. Um, because yeah, yeah. big time mm-hmm. as your, uh, as your, your diaphragm goes down, um, uh, sort of descends when you, when you breathe in, there are certain forces that it has to overcome. Um, so there's the force of, of the stretch on your heart. Uh, so as it descends, it sort of creates a, a like, there's an elastic resistance that the heart doesn't want to get stretched, but it has to, cause they're connected. Uh, mm-hmm. And then likewise from the abdominal organs, the, the underneath it, the, the diaphragm squishes down on the abdominal organs, which is really beneficial for like things like liver secretions and, and the bile duct uh, and, and digestion and motility of like the, the large and small intestines. But as it's descending, it sort of reaches a point of stability where it can't push down anymore on the organs. And likewise, it also cannot pull down any further on the pericardium and the, the, the container of the heart. Um, and at that point, there's still extra room in an ideal position, uh, situation, there's still extra room for the muscle of the diaphragm to contract, but because of the position of the, 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 of those forces that it's in, instead of descending further, it causes a, uh, a pull on the ribs and then allows those ribs to sort of expand a little bit further. And by, by those sort of all those motions collectively, you get the expansion of that tube of, that is your rib cage or your thorax, that, that sort of anterior to posterior expansion, the lateral expansion, and then the, uh, the, the top to bottom sort of expansion as well. And so if you have an optimally functioning diaphragm, you know, you're, you, you don't have a choice. You, you will be belly breathing and you will be chest breathing because that's just way, the way that it's built to, to function. So it's kind of a, a, a nice way to look at it. That's wicked. Yeah. Um, and with that, I, uh, you were saying that because the, the heart is attached to the top, the heart's almost getting dragged down in a way when we inhale. Cause I know you mm-hmm. hear um, like a, a lot of the ideas behind uh, breathing is that if you extend the inhale, that's a more sympathetic um, dominant breathing technique where you're, yeah, amping yourself up essentially. And then when you yeah, extend, yeah. exhale, now that's more of a parasympathetically dominant. That's more of a, a restful type of breathing. Um, so how, how does that play in with the, this idea behind the heart? getting pulled? Well, it, yeah. It's an interesting piece. Cause the, 
as you're pulling down, you're sort of creating stretch or almost like a, a closure of the, the capacity within, within the heart, uh, within the pericardium, the, fi the fibrous pericardium, it doesn't change shape very well, um, but it is, it is wider or fatter. So it has the capacity to sort of be approximated as it gets pulled down. And by doing so, you know, affects then the, the extensibility of the, the, of the, um, the ventricles. Hmm. And there's the, the, the reflex there, the Bainbridge reflex, I think it's called, which uh, require or causes the heart to increase its, uh, its beats as you're inhaling to, in, you know, encourage more blood flow and, and maintain cardiac output. Um, but what you, I remember you had said that, was it a sympathetically driven? Yeah. So, like so if you, yeah, the, like when you, if you look at just the total time, of a, of a breathing technique that you spend in an inhale versus an exhale. Uh, a lot of the times when you're spending more time in an inhale inhalation state, um, mm. it's more of a, a um, the idea is to amp yourself up to, you know, get that more of that sympathetic response. Whereas if you, if the goal is more of the rest response, the idea is just generally speaking um, is an extended exhale. And I think that mm -hmm. goes structurally, just looking at, like, I'm sure that we could talk about the physiological differences that are happening there, but I thought that was interesting when you brought that to my attention is that when, like you said, we're pulling the heart down and we're, um, it's almost like, uh, if you folded a piece of paper, mm -hmm. right. And you grab both ends and you pull and you're just taking the space away. The heart yeah. then has to contract more. And what makes the heart contract more, um, is the autonomic nervous system is the, uh, sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic. Yeah. 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 So which, which totally correlates with that, that amped up sort of effect. Mm -hmm. So if you're stimulating, yeah, yeah. If you're stimulating more of the sympathetic or the more of the, the inhale, you're getting more stretch and then causing that, that uh, heart rate to jack up a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's so wow. wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's such a cool, uh, cool connection. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you look at what decreases the heart rate, I think it's cool too. The, the heart itself is it's intrinsic. Um, uh, frequency of beats is around 100. So your body's mm. constantly 100 beats per minute is constantly trying to decrease. It's uh, like the body always seems to right. do that where it's set at a high level and then it inhibits so that whenever you need that high level, boom, you can get right into it. You can get it immediately. Yeah. 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 yeah it's so That's cool. pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so cool. Um, and then, so the, the vagus nerve is what is going to decrease our, our heart rate. And if you look mm -hmm. at where, um, the vagus nerve has to travel literally right through the diaphragm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To get to the, all the other organs. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of study uh, studies that look at uh, mechanotransduction affecting nerve uh, stimulation and firing, which just means like the pressure put on a nerve is going to impact how, how it function, uh, functions. And even if you just look at that from a, like every nerve has an artery that supplies it, has a vein that drains it. If you put pressure there, it's not going to be able to, um, drain and you know get supply yeah um, yeah so there, there's probably a level of stimulation on that vagus nerve just from breathing because the diaphragm's pulling up and down and creating pressure along its its actual fibers yeah and so the frequency with which it's done may may have that sort of or maybe a critical piece to the effect of, or the outcome of the the action of that nerve mm -hmm. is that sort of what what, what it gets to like gets at that's what i'm thinking um, yeah, I'd have to look more at, like, I know there is, uh, some good studies at vagal nerve, uh, stimulation with breath mm -hmm. uh, or vagal nerve tone. I think they call it. Yeah. 
Um, but I'd have to look more into it, but just structurally speaking, like that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, mm. for sure. And the, the, is the vagus nerve, does it, it has a lot of parasympathetic nerves passing through it. Is it not? Yeah. It's almost 100. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it's so, one of so, the, the four parasympathetic cranial nerves. So then that, that slowed breathing helps to really encourage then that parasympathetic action and the rest and digest. Mm-hmm. So slower breathing, more, more gradual, more, uh, uh, patterned, I guess, or, or relaxing in its, in its motion mm-hmm. encourages its action. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. and, and that's, that's super neat. Cause as soon as you, you know, you start getting into heavy action or, or requiring a lot of deep breathing, a lot of fast breathing, you're, it automatically almost then would shut off the, the. Uh, digestion that's going on, whatever may be going on in the abdominal viscera. Mm-hmm. And it's possibly maybe mediated by, by something like that as well, yeah. as much as, as much as you'd have at the higher centers of the brain, mm-hmm. like there's all sorts be, of feedback loops. There's going to be sensory, a sensory component to the, the vagus nerve and it, it could be um, stimulating that or like um, sensing that and then telling the central nervous system what's going on. Yeah. 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 That's, what that's super cool. So with, um, with like all the, these different sort of structural breathing practices, I guess, what, what are some of the ones that, that you've been working on, I guess, in, in terms of like for, for physiological benefit or for mechanical benefit for yourself? Um, there's a, there's a ton. Um, and I'm going to hold off cause I, I know part three, uh, okay. we're going to get into the practical stuff. Oh, so true. So true. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, know that's yeah. the funnest part to talk about though. Um, it is, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll keep that a secret. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. But like like you were saying with the the digestion component um, mm-hmm. with the diaphragm, it's interesting. Like we talked about in a previous podcast, that a nerve is essentially a fluid tube as well. Yeah. Um, and changes in pressure on and off pressure. Like it's not necessarily that the compression or the expansion is better to move fluid. It's the um, consistency of of having them both on and off. The exchange um, of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look at, um, like I know this gets talked about is how breathing affects mood mm-hmm. um, and how the vagus nerve. So 80% of serotonin gets produced in the gut. Um, and that's kind of uh, a neurotransmitter as like a feel good neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. So if we get more breathing and we stimulate that uh, fluid flow of serotonin getting picked up from the gut, going back up to the brain. Like I, I was just thinking about that through that axoplasmic transport of maybe that could be a reason, one of the reasons, a structural reason why um, you get that kind of euphoric feeling after a breathwork session or just taking a couple common breaths or whatever, because you're literally mm-hmm. driving feel good neurotransmitters up the tube through the diaphragm yeah. into the brain. Yeah. 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 And, and facilitating that transfer of, of mm-hmm. you know, from, from source to effect from the stomach to the brain to, to generate that increased, uh, in, or feel good response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super sweet. Um, so all this talk on, on breathing and, and uh, structure, we haven't even talked about the lungs yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, talk about everything around them. Yeah. <laughs> so the lungs are kind of sitting these two like lobular tissues that sit in your chest cavity. Um, and they're surrounded by this, these tissues called the pleura. So you have this uh, visceral pleura, which is almost just pretty much the lung. Like it's just mm-hmm. this very uh, slippery like tissue on, on the outside of the lung. 
And then we, we talk have, about it as like a, uh, like almost like saran wrap over the, the mm, lung itself. Yeah. Keep then, it fresh. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the parietal pleura, which is more um, like uh, in contact with the, the fascias of the musculature, the bony, the muscular tissue on the outside. Um, it's a little bit tougher um, and can withstand the, the more of that friction movement of the uh, rib cage and such. And then mm -hmm. in between is this uh, parietal cavity that has just this little tiny bit of fluid to act as a, um, a vacuum seal so that the lungs stay like right up attached to the, uh, to the rib cage. So that when we take that breath in actively, the lungs get freaking pulled along with it. Yeah. 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 And that, that's such a, like a, an important piece because the, with that, that sort of vacuum seal that you talk about, I, I often sort of describe it as a, um, like if you have condensation on the glass mm -hmm. uh, and you stick it on the table and it sort of slides, or when you go to pick it up, it's kind of hard to get, like to pull it up off of the table. It's that, that sort of like surface tension within the fluid that, uh, that sort of helps to adhere the, the, the lung tissue to the rib cage. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the, it, it, the, that, that sort of close contact that you're describing speaks a lot to rib position, as we were talking about earlier, if you have an area of ribs that are decompressed or not, not able to move as well, you have a whole section of lung. That's like, you know, just by association, not going to get that expanded pull or that, that tractioning force to, to draw air into, into it, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to, you know, may cause all sorts of, uh, changes locally. And it just brings another, uh, port, port of an, uh, part of intention or importance to, uh, pressure. Mm -hmm. Like there's that parietal uh, pressure in, uh, in the cavity that has to stay a certain negative pressure, um, than the inside of the lung so that the lungs don't collapse. And I'm pretty sure it's only like a four millimeter of mercury dif difference or something like that. It's like super small, but just enough to allow for, um, uh, recoil so that like the lungs are always like there's this pressure of trying to always to collapse but that yeah. allows the like an elastic recoil to push air out passively so right. we don't have to waste energy doing that um, but also enough uh, surface tension and and um, negative pressure on the outside so that it does not fully collapse and then you know we die yeah 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 and then you're unable to take a breath at mm -hmm. all yeah that's a really wild, like four, four millimeters is of mercury is such like a minuscule amount of pressure mm -hmm. by, by comparison, uh, you know, to the other pressure seen within the body. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, I guess, into the physiology side of things. Yeah. I but think four, it's four. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to check that for sure. But it's, yeah, it's low. Yeah. It's a low. I remember, difference. I remember mm -hmm. seeing, yeah, it being quite low. It's, it's such a crazy, crazy thing that, but, but when you, you know, extrapolate that cross to the entire surface area of the lung itself all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a decent amount of pressure that's being exerted or, mm -hmm. or not pressure, I guess, of, of uh, traction or suctioning force. Um, uh, that sort of suction cut to, to the rib cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a cool segue in like the, the idea behind the surface area of the, um, the lung and the, uh, more, more specifically the alveoli in the lung, which is like the actual, um, respiratory zone where blood comes into this the structure and air comes into the structure and allows that exchange. Um, but if you uh, were to like stretch them out, all these uh, alveoli, it's like a tennis court size. It's like six times the, your skin size. That's huge. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they always talk about, yeah, your, your skin being like the largest organ. 
mm-hmm. or, or whatever. I, I know that there's some conjecture now with, with other organs that have been recently classified, but yet for, for the lung, it's uh, that that's pretty huge. That's a, it's all a whole lot of lung. Crazy <laughs> surface area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's, I guess, by the only, the only way by which it's able to, to get the amount that it needs of, of nutrients in as well as nutrients out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then just going back to the, the, now the inside of the lung, we have these um, conducting zones and then respiratory zones, which would be the, the alveoli, the, the tissue that we're talking about that actually do the exchange. But the conducting zones is kind of like your, your, your throat, your trachea, your bronchial is kind of the, the area that's moving. It's more actively moving um, air to the point where then it can get exchanged. Um, mm-hmm. So when people talk about taking a deeper breath to allow for more exchange, the reason where that kind of saying comes from is because the alveoli are at the, the end of this. It's almost like an upside down tree. Like if you look at the, the, the structures of it filled in or whatever, um, yeah. with all these branches going to the ends and then the alveoli are kind of like the leaves at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have, that's this, a really good comparison. Mm-hmm, there's like great pictures, um, great picture comparisons of that. Um, so when we don't take as deep of a breath, we don't allow for, um, as much of the air to travel through the conducting zone into the actual area where we're exchanging, uh, nutrients or oxygen. Yeah. Oxygen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and waste products and, and things mm. like that. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. The, the alveoli, they, they always describe them as little like grapes hanging yeah. on, yeah. like, cause that's, that's kind of what they look like. Mm-hmm. These little spheres of, of, of bundles that are at the end and, and just completely wrapped around by, by blood, uh, blood vessels, mm-hmm. both on, on one end or, or the other. Yeah. And uh, do, I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit about, about the mechanism of how those, those guys stay inflated, I guess? Yeah. There's all, there's, cause there's always a residual amount of air within your lungs. Otherwise they, you know, you need to have a certain amount of, of air within them. Otherwise they, they would collapse in on themselves in, in, in some way due to that elastic component. Mm-hmm. But that's wicked. Cause and then again, cause yeah. you need some sort of positive pressure in there so that it doesn't go negative to beyond the, the, uh, that parietal um, cavity on the outside so that it doesn't collapse in on itself, mm-hmm. um, which I never actually thought about. That's a, an interesting point there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like with the, sur- there's, can you speak a little bit about the surfactant and, and those sorts of, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Within, within the alveoli. Mm-hmm. So there's this, like we we're talking about the surface tension um, from fluid on, cause it's interesting. Like water is uh I don't know the name for it, but it's attracted to a lot of things and even itself. So like water molecules are so attracted to themselves that they can be hard to separate. So there's these uh, type two alveolar cells in the, the, the walls of the tissue that release this um, liquid like substance called surfactant, which actually works the same as uh, laundry detergent, which I didn't know worked this way. So laundry detergent um, decreases the water's, um, pull towards itself so that it can fit through fabrics and and clean out fabrics. That's so cool. So wild. (laughs) Um, I love, I love that. (laughs) So, so this surfactant, um, being, uh, expelled into the lungs decreases that surface tension a little bit and that pull in on itself. So that, like you Mm. said, it doesn't collapse. Um, and guess what, uh, what stimulates surfactant to be released more? What? Deeper breaths. 
yeah, so it's the, the that deeper, self, the self sort of modulating process. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to, you need to breathe friction. to keep breathing. So sorry. So, what, what was <clears> that? It needs to, uh, just to decrease that friction, that surface tension, the, the, the deeper the breath, the more expansion that's going to um, stimulate those cells to re- release more surfactant. That's super cool. So wild. that's wild. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, and there's some cool things with that, uh, that conducting pathway as well. So mm-hmm. like our nose, for example, our, mm. our trachea, our bronchioles, they all have the ability to number one, humidify the air. So, um, we don't want air that's super dry in our lungs because it's going to change the um, moisture and the, the fluidity of the actual tissue on the inside. And yeah, then, the mucus lining of it. Yeah, and then yeah. The, it needs to be a certain temperature. So when we go out and uh, you go out into the cold and you wonder why, you know, you, you have this mucus that just starts coming out of your nose. A reason, uh, one of the reasons for that is that it allows for that air to um, get in contact with more things essentially to heat it up before it gets down into the lungs and then it filters the air as well so that you have this like clean pristine warm moist just beautiful air by the time it gets down into your uh into the uh respiratory zone it's already cultivated just as it needs to be Mm -hmm. yeah so you hear a little bit of a a movement now for you know your nose is for breathing your mouth is for eating Mm -hmm. Um, and there's reasons for that because you're literally um not moistening that air. You're not, you're not making it absorbable essentially when you're breathing yeah. out of your mouth and in your nose. And, and I know that was something that we'll get into, but it was a fun fact that, that we had sort of, that I had mentioned earlier in, in a previous podcast where the drive for air or, or the drive for your breathing is not due to more oxygen coming in or, or the lack of oxygen coming in, but for the, the carbon dioxide going out. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the size of the, the, you know, the, the passageway of your mouth compared to your two nostrils, you're, if you're breathing through your mouth, you're getting way too much air in than what is even necessary. And, and by, by effect, you're really just creating, you know, an excess uh, of, of air. It's, it doesn't have the surface area that it would passing through your nose to humidify appropriately to, uh, to, to warm appropriately before it gets to those more sensitive structures like the, like the bronchioles and, and the alveoli and all that stuff. Uh, and so you could in, in fact inflict damage, you know, to a certain extent in, in like some of those areas, if you're breathing too much through uh, too large of a passageway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super cool. It is. Wow. And, it, and it's, it's one of those things that, that they never really, it, it's, it seems lost in translation. I feel like that should have been like something in phys ed or health class that we should have talked about, but <laughs> close your mouth. <laughs> yeah, close your mouth. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It probably would have done the teacher some favors to keep me quiet. It's well, in the it back is, of class. It is a part of like ancestral wisdom. Um, I know there's writings about when settlers came to, uh, I, I don't know, you call it the Americas um, back in the day that that was a part of how they taught their children was to, you know, breathe out of your nose and your mouth for eating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super interesting. It, and it's, it, it's something that you see in, in nature, I guess, as well. There's a lot of the, the animals, they, you don't see them. They, they pant mostly, you know, or, or breathe through their mouths only under certain circumstances to help expel air, uh, heat. Yeah. Um, but, but they're, you know, able, able to sprint, run and, and recover all while breathing through their nose. Mm-hmm. And if you, I mean, it's a big ask for us to be able to do that nowadays, but imagine if you're, 
the equivalent of a cheetah, some linebacker just running at running you down down the field without you know huffing and puffing. They're just like a machine breathing through their nose. <laughs> the scariest thing. Intimidating. Ever. Yeah. Uh, it'd be crazy. Um, and then uh, so yeah, just back to the layers of tissues that that, that we're talking about. There's one. Um, it's not just superficial, but uh, it is of extreme importance with mobility and, and especially with this idea behind breathing and that's your fascia. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this, um, axial, uh, we'll just say like a tr- this trunk fascia that, um, people will call them layers of, of fascia, but they're so intertwined with each other. It's almost just like a change in density as you go from superficial to deep, like there's just, more and more fashion, they're connected through these layers. Um, and you can have fascial restrictions that then will restrict the mobility of the ribs and then kind of work as a domino effect down transferring forces and, and impact those ribs ability to open the, the spines ability to extend or flex or even the, the musculature like the diaphragm is has this fascial relationship with itself and the, the psoas and the, the QL and these muscles of the lower leg and your kidneys and stuff so it's like literally attached in fascially into your legs like uh, like with gait and and movement and breathing like these are all interconnected with each other um which is just insane yeah and and so with that like the 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 connection specifically we were talking about chest breathing earlier yeah the you know creating too much recruitment of breath through secondary musculature like scalenes uh, or, or like the intercostal muscles, uh, working when they, you know, perhaps shouldn't be when, you know, should be more, more, more or less diaphragmatic action, then that, that causes, you're saying that causes a pull in through some of the deeper structures, mm-hmm. uh, in, in through like the fascial connections going down deep into the body, into the viscera and into, into more distal areas, like into the, into the, the legs or into the kidneys and stuff like that. Mm, the fascia is literally the structure that allows you to connect like the top of your head to the to your big toe. Like if you wanted to, you know, like yeah, it, yeah, yeah. there's no broken pieces of it. There'll be compensations yeah. in between, of course, but um, it's all connected in it with these long like lines of force that come into different areas and that restrict in certain areas that are going to impact um, this breathability. Yeah. That's yeah. super, super crazy to wrap your head around. It's a big ask because it's, it, it is such a, like a, a honeycomb network where it's not just what you can see. It's what, what's hiding behind itself. You know, it sort of intertwines and, and folds into areas and in the, the more minuscule of, of a scale that you approach, it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the dark matter of our body. Tough <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to argue against that. It's not going to have an impact. Um, yeah. Like it has a, it has an innervation. It has a blood supply that can be um, skewed so that mm-hmm. if it's not getting the right blood or if it's getting too much, um, too many impulses from the sympathetic nervous system or whatever, it's going to change its structure. Like it has this ability uh, through hydrogen bonds um, and uh, hydrolonic acid, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Hyaluronic, yeah. Yeah, to um, change its structure, to become more solid as opposed to gel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, to allow for better gliding of movement or to not allow for movement at all. That's pretty, and, and not allow movement being, you know, caused by uh, being under too much force or stress for too long of a time. 
mm-hmm. through like chronic posture, previous injuries, that kind of a thing. It'll, it'll then start to adhese a little bit more and become more rigid and less, uh, less fluid or less, uh, gel like, I suppose, mm-hmm. less mobile mm-hmm. by necessity. And, and make that connection again that you, you were telling me earlier of uh, the scalenes going through and affecting fascia around the lungs and uh, which then has that effect down into, into the spine of the, the lumbar spine and stuff. Yeah. So the scalenes are um, accessory breathing muscles. They come from the cervical spine into the first and second rib. And uh, they're closely associated with this fascial tube called the carotid sheath which carries some pretty important blood vessels uh, to a pretty important organ. Um, But at the ribs, they're also associated with um, a fascial connection through something called the Simpson's fascia, but the fascia of the lungs, the parietal pleura. So if there's any constriction in these muscles of the neck, it'll uh, create a pull into the ribs, into the parietal pleura, um, impacting uh, the coordination of the diaphragm with the uh, abdominal uh, muscles that help with breathing, like the transverse abdominis, which will impact the coordination with the um, the pelvic pleur- uh, the pelvic floor, sorry, or the the pelvic um, diaphragm, um, and that and then that uh, respiratory diaphragm has attachments into the lumbar spine, uh, which is closely uh, related with that fascia, the the psoas muscle and that QS muscle and the the kidney. So we see this huge connection um, where just something as small as having some neck uh, tone or too much neck tension can impact all these structures all the way down into, you know, the lower limbs. That's just wild. There's a great book. It's called the, uh, I'll reference it in the show notes, but it's called the tensile network of fascia that makes all these um, connections like that. But it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very interesting. It's like um, you can have neck restrictions that then impact the blood supply to your freaking head and drains your head. But then that'll also impact your ability to, fully open your lungs, which then will impact the ability of your, you know, the oxygenation of your entire body, including yeah, the brain. Yeah, so now, yeah. now there's two factors that your, your brain's not getting as much oxygen and drainage. Yeah. 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 That's wild. That's what, and, and, and by those restrictions, it, it you know, requires, uh, because the body's either going to suffer their consequences, which it rarely does, or it'll compensate to find a better way to do it. So you're, you're going to end up creating more distension in a different part of your body due to the constriction somewhere mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to create some sort of rib flare to, to get more oxygen into a different area or, or, you know, descend the, the abdominal contents a little bit further to get more distension and uh, of the diaphragm and uh, more descending of the diaphragm to change the, the pressure elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that again, comes back to that uh, amazing ability of the top down, um, um, motor changes that your central nervous system can do that, yeah. that integrate, you know, breathing with posture, with head yeah. position, with eye position, neck position. Um, all that stuff is just like your brain, just like integrating, integrating, integrating. It's freaking wild. The conductor of the most intense orchestra ever. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all the orchestras combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, like you can connect it with the neck, you can connect it with your legs as well through the brain. Like, and how many people have leg issues, injuries, mm-hmm. they've maybe they had an ankle injury, a knee injury or hip problems or, um, yeah, low back, back problems like that. Those, those changing big, the way you walk. Yeah. Those big muscles that come from your hips, you know, they, they go right into your, your lower back and mm-hmm. fascially connect into that diaphragm 
And that's mm-hmm. all going to change, all going to change how, how that diaphragm can dome down and up. Um, and even, um, I know we, we keep talking about the respiratory diaphragm, but there's the pelvic diaphragm, there's the oral diaphragm, there's the tentorial diaphragm, our tentorium in, in the, in the brain that all have, um, uh, my guess would be reflex connections, like connections so that they all dome together to change pressures, but there's also yeah. functional connections through that, uh, um, um, that lower limb into, uh, um, the, the pelvic floor fascia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, um, I always think about it as, cause I like to go like backcountry camping or traveling or things like that. And when you you're packing, it's always easier to pack stuff, your stuff into smaller bags and then pack those smaller bags into your big bag, which then you just sling across on your back. So if you need your socks and underwear, you just go into your socks and underwear bag and pull it out versus <laughs> no your, your you t-shirt bag. Oh yeah. <laughs> this guy's it got depends on how long you're going for. <laughs> but, but it's the same thing, right? Like you have your abdominal bag and then you have your thorax bag and you have your pelvic bag and they're all sort of separated by, by like in the thorax, the parietal, uh, the parietal pleura, uh, in the abdominal cavity, you have your peritoneum in the pelvic cavity. You just have sort of like the surrounding fascia within, like on the other side of the iliacus and, and like the, the posterior aspect of the, the sacrum, which mm-hmm. sort of contain then all of these different organs within them, but they keep them all sort of separate by, by these, uh, these, um, diaphragms as well as these um uh fibrous sacs essentially containing and um they all have to move like you were saying i i think the uh the i was reading the pelvic diaphragm is most closely connected to the action of the transverse abdominis Mm -hmm. Um, and so its contractility sort of corresponds with it so that when your pelvic floor contracts and sort of comes up, so does your, your abdominal, uh, your abdominal wall come in to then help with that elastic recoil in the exhalation. Mm -hmm. So we, we talked, yeah, you had mentioned earlier about the exhalation sort of being a passive process to save energy. And there's so many ways by which it happens. The, The one that you had mentioned was by the elasticity of the lungs, the tissue of the lungs and the, 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 uh, sort of, breathes in and, and creates stretch on that elastic, uh, that elastic, uh, tissue, both of the rib cage, the parietal pleura, the, the lung tissue itself. And then when you exhale, it just relaxes, but there's also then that, that sort of contracted effort, uh, drawing, drawing, um, the, the pelvic floor and the transverse abdominis to sort of push the abdominal organs up to help expel air as well. Mm-hmm. And remember you, you had it, what was your trick you, that, that you oh, worked with yeah. patients with the pelvic floor? Well, it's interesting. Cause, um, it, that's one of those ones. It's like, come on, you're telling me like the base of my pelvis musculature is going to impact my breath. Like you can't, like you can't, yeah. you can't tell me that. I'm like, okay, well, I can show you. So there is a, um, a practice you can do to um, dome the diaphragm as high up as possible. Essentially. It's almost like stretching out your diaphragm, but it's really just breathing out as much as you can. Cause that pressure mm-hmm. change is going to pull the diaphragm out. So you literally, you know, you start your inhale, you exhale through the mouth, nice and slow, trying to push out as much air as you can. You kind of flex forward. Uh, um, so that you can create more pressure in your abdomen so that you can get more air out, more air out. And then mm-hmm. all the way, there'll be a point where the, you can't get anything out. There'll be no more air. And then you do a Kegel and it'll just be like, <sighs> <laughs> you just get that last little yeah, bit. Yeah, like there's a little bit more, uh, that's crazy. Uh, bit of air in. Yeah. And that's, right, I mean, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just shows then that, that, that exchange of pressure. So mm-hmm. it's all fluid in between it. Mm-hmm. between that pelvic diaphragm to the thoracic diaphragm, it's just a bunch of, uh, you know, there's some, some air, I guess, within the, the, uh, 
the uh, GI tract, but the majority mm. of those organs are, are pretty packed in with fluid. And, and as soon as there's a transfer from the bottom, it just pushes all of it back up and get that little extra air out. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, like if there's going to be uh, an air movement mm-hmm. due to a change in pressure, there's going to be a fluid movement because the, the pressure is the same. The body's a vacuum. There's no space. So yeah. like you're going to be impacting both those things at the same time. So if you yeah. can get that little bit more air out, you can change that pressure a little bit more. You're going to be able to push more fluid up. Um, and then when you do take that inhale back in, the pressure changes more fluids going to be able to come back down. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's some pretty important uh, structures there in that pelvic region. Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, wild. Especially when it comes to blood flow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, what is that? Uh, I wanted to go here was um, just like back to the importance of mobility and stability. Like, yes, we're talking about breathing, but mm. we're talking really, we're talking about structures moving and, and being able to move and being able to distribute force and being able to change pressure. So, you know, air can move and fluid can move um, because what, like, like what happens, like we're talking, there's a lot of structures that attach into the, to the ribs, fascially, mm-hmm. muscularly. Um, and because of their, they're kind of like long, like they're not, I think they're considered flat bones, mm-hmm. um, but they yeah, are like quite regular. Yeah. Yeah. They're quite long and flat. Um, and they're very f- like, you can get a lot of flex out of them. Mm-hmm. Like they're almost like a hockey stick. Like yeah, I remember stick, back yeah, in the yeah. hockey days, it's like, you want the most flex. So, so you get this crazy, get whip, this but, wicked slap shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if they're getting held from somewhere, whether it be fascially, muscularly or whatever, um, that's going to change how the spine can move that's going to change the forces coming through. So if you're, you know, your ribs, let's say uh, your lower six ribs are kind of jammed up on the left. And now you mm-hmm. have that big, big psoas muscle coming into your uh, um, thoracic spine and uh, uh, that big QL coming up and grabbing those four uh, or three, three or four ribs in the back. And you have these forces coming in from these two big muscles that then they're supposed to be this, there's going to be a connection uh, um, between the, the, uh, the ribs and the spine in terms of movement, but there's also a relative interdependence where the, the ribs going to have some mobility to absorb force and the spine is going to have some mobility to absorb force. So yeah. if you, you lose that mobility out of the rib or out of the spine, now that force is, is transmitted more so to, in, into that other structure. And then, you know, damage occurs or, or over a long period of time, stress over uh, with stress and strain, um, th- these issues start to come up. Yeah. Then, so, so each one more or less acts as kind of like, it's like a, a shock absorber of sorts. Mm-hmm. And for every, every iota of, of movement that's lost, it becomes less and less of a shock absorber, which increases and focalizes then that the force in, in one area. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get who knows what in terms of, you know, back issue or rib issue. Yeah. There's, there's a long list. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. I can't remember the, I'm trying to remember it was a, there was somebody in ancient Chinese history that, that had, had made mention uh, that had a famous quote that was talking about the suppleness or the mobility of, of the movement. You're only young, as young as your spine is, is supple or, or, mobile, is yeah, mobile or something like that. Mm-hmm. I know that there were, there was, there were renditions of that from some movement practitioners that were, that are more, more recent, but it, it was a, an ancient sort of proverb of sorts from, from, uh, uh, that I had read in, in some Chinese literature. And it's, and it's true is as soon as you lose access to those sorts of things, you're, you're only increasing your risk for, for further issues to occur. 
mm-hmm. both physiologically and then structurally as well. Like what you're, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that, you know, that puts stress on the body. Um, mm-hmm. Like I know we, we talked about fascia a little bit. Fascia is innervated by that sympathetic nervous system. Um, we didn't talk too much about it, but we have this thoracic chain ganglia, which is just like oh, essentially your sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. That has these big bulbs um, that sit right in front of the rib heads that uh, um, are a large controller of that fight or flight nervous system that they're not just sitting in front of the rib heads for no reason, right? There's yeah. gotta be some sort of functional reason why the rib head are uh, they're there. Is it for maybe for their supply, maybe for that mechanical transduction, a little bit of pressure on and off pressure to um, inhibit or to, you know, excite or whatever. Um, but if that rib head isn't moving and that spine then has to absorb more force or forces get transmitted more through the softer tissues and maybe through that nerve, um, mm-hmm. more than they have to, that that's going to impact, um, just total stress. Yeah. 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 Overall, mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting thought. And I wonder if there's any sort of correlations made or, or research done in terms of that, like, you know, sympathetically driven disease or, or like mental states or, or digestive issues related mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form to, you know, the mobility or, or distensibility of, of those structures. Because mm-hmm. it, it I always wondered, like, is it, you know, what, what could be causing that, that like an increase in, in sympathetic drive? Is it a lack of stimulation? Is it too much stimulation? Is it, you know, is it one big stimulation from let, let's say like, you know, you have that one immobile, immobile area, but it, it just hit, finally hit that, you know, that point hard enough and, and caused a, a reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, can you relate that back to, to the sympathetic action in other parts of the body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a trauma or like, to me, my understanding in, and they don't talk about it as much now, but in like older, um, clinical, um, literature or, um, anatomical discussion, it was, mm-hmm. the, the, it's not necessarily like you're like, obviously a trauma is going to be, you know, that will be a trauma, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's the consistency. It's the not allowing the on and off. It's the, the fact that it's like if it's high or low or whatever, it's the mm-hmm. fact that it's non and it's not, it's not coming off. Um, right. It's like that. So that mm-hmm. stimulus is there and then not leaving. Yeah. It's not that it's not going through that undulating sort of yeah. off thing that, that we were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And you can apply that to pretty much anything. It's like blood flow, same thing. Um, like you need some on and off pressure to, to move uh, fluid around. Um, yeah. Mobility. Mobility is just the ability to allow you know, soft issues to expand and, and contract. It's not just so that they contract or just so that they can expand. It's so that they can come on and off, on and off, on and off. And that's what that yeah, mobility yeah. takes away. Well, and, and all the, the, the contractions that you feel in the discomfort or the, you know, the pain, painful areas, it's usually an increased tonicity and, and it's not then getting that time to relax and, and get fluid in and out as we had talked about before in that mobility, a uh, uh, couple of podcasts there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It goes, goes a long way. God damn. We went, are we still talking about breathing? Yeah. Oh, frick. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah we, anything else you want to add to that or? No, I mean like, yeah, that, that whole, the, the, the placement, like you had said of the sympathetic chain ganglia being in, it could be anywhere really in the body, but you know, it's, it's there for a reason. Nature doesn't do it by accident mm-hmm. and it's not just seen in humans. It's, it's not like a human specific thing. It's a mammal thing. It's, it's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And so to, you know, to, to snub it off as, as not, you know, being consequential, I think it's a little, 
you, you have a little bit of oversight there that we just perhaps haven't discovered or the significance of, or we may have, but haven't been willing to give enough recognition to it for, you know, our own lack of understanding perhaps, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, when it comes to breathing, that's, that's going to be a very integral piece. Yeah. Oh, that dude. Like yeah, you said, it's, it's like millions and millions of years of accumulated intelligence and how we're structured. Um, yeah. Just because we don't understand doesn't mean there's something going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, damn, the structure of breathing. And then, you know, there's wow. probably so many structural things you could talk about. Oh, um, yeah. But I don't think structure gets talked about a lot. Mm -mm. Like it, most things uh, get talked about in, in, in terms of the physiology of what's going on with the physiology, which is a lot of fun. Or the, or the chemistry or, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Biochemistry or whatever. Um, yeah. People don't bring it back out to that structural component as much anymore, um, mm -hmm. which there's so much here. Mm -hmm. And, it, and, and sorry, the, 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 the larger variety of things you look at and, and consider then the mechanical or structural effects of it, the more relevance it as a concept has to human health. Mm -hmm. function and then you know as a personal trainer as a um, a manual therapist or even like on your own it's like what do you have access to mm -hmm. you have access to the structure right yeah, and, yeah. And, and and why not think about it from from structure to to physiology or anatomy to physiology yeah there's, there's an importance to physiology to anatomy too i think like there, you want to think about it both ways but don't get caught up in just thinking about it one way yeah, well, it, it gives it gives agency to people all over to to be able to take responsibility and control over their own health if they begin to understand this as a concept. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, you know take this pill kind of scenario. It's like, well, what else can you do outside of that the, to to make improvements? You know, be they marginal or or significant ones, depending on your needs. You know, you have the you have the capacity to do that, and and people around you have the capacity to do that be it a, you know, personal trainer, like, or, or therapist or anything like that. They're, you know, whether they know it or not is, is one thing, but they, they're definitely making significant effects to, to your body mm -hmm. and you can do it on your own, which is cool. Part one, baby structure yeah. of breathing. That was wow. a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That was, um, I feel like we covered a lot of like a good variety of things too. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff that's commonly known, but some, some perhaps that may not be so, so common or, or well understood, which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, stay tuned for part two, because part two, we're going to get into the physiology and there's some very cool stuff. Um, very paradoxical stuff in the physiology that I think uh, not too many people think about very often. Um, actually, one more question uh, I wanted to ask you. Uh, cause I know this was big, uh, not too long ago was the, the standing or like the hands on the back of the head standing, uh, recovery posture versus the hands on the knees, um, mm. recovery posture. And we don't have to go too deep into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember reading about that saying that, you know, your, your bot, there was a new study that had come out that finally mm -hmm. substantiated what a lot of people reflexively did anyways, where, where yeah. you naturally, you get it out of breath, you put your hands on your knees. And, and I think what the findings was is that it helped offset the pressure from the rib cage to allow it to function and move better and allow a better function of the diaphragm by your body position. Mm -hmm. And that, that then facilitated a more like a, a, a speedier recovery in terms of that CO2, O2 balance within the body. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it hit. Is that, is that, am I missing something there or? No, I think you nailed on the head. It's like that, that hand, like, I think a lot of it was psycho, like the psychological component of you don't want to look weak with your hands on your right. knees, but um, yeah, yeah. Like the having any, whenever you're in 
closer to an end range position, whatever side it's going to be, you're going to restrict one like part of the motion. So yes, when you're, when you're up here, the ribs open up and you know, you can get more uh, of an inhale, but now you're influencing the ability of that recoil for the exhale. Um, yeah. Cause it's like that flexion extension relationship where, where you got the hands on the knees and it's just like the tissues can be more um, uh, like they have more space to move because yeah, they're, yeah. they're like a more relaxed position. Yeah. And, and that speaks to, too, like the, the, the drive for breathing is not to get more air in. Mm -hmm. So if why stand in an inhaled position while depriving your body from the ability to do what it needs to do, which is to expel CO2. It just mm -hmm. doesn't, when you think about it that way as well, like, you know, you don't need the research paper to, to substantiate anything yeah. when you think about what is actually happening. Well, once yeah. well, next podcast, we'll get into the bore and how it is. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, it, like breathing we'll talk about it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. gonna have to hit the books yeah yeah it's well, uh, there's there's so much there yeah so there's interesting paradoxical stuff yeah um, yeah all right dude that was great yeah awesome well looking forward to uh getting into the second into the second part and uh thanks a lot for tuning in everybody yeah have a good one Stefan. see you later thanks for tuning in we hope you enjoyed the show if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic you'd like me and Stefan to tackle, you can find us on Instagram at why it depends podcast. Email us at why it depends at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at www.thewhyitdependspodcast.com for detailed show notes with all the references and resources discussed in each and every episode. Do not hesitate to send us a message. We'd love to get to know you. Cheers and stay healthy.